welcome to Snacking with the Saints, the podcast where we eat snacks and talk about the saints with your hosts, Andrea and Lena. Thanks for being here. Let's jump in. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome back. We are so excited to be here with you guys again Yeah. for a Lenten edition episode. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about Lent's who co- Lent's. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? About Lens. <laughs> I meant to say Saints. <laughs> I'm delirious. We're off to a good start. Yeah, we're talking about Saints who uh, kind of embody the Lenten practice of almsgiving. Yeah. And Lena's going to tell us about almsgiving. Sure. Okay. According to the Catechism, almsgiving is one of the three Lenten practices. Of course, it's prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. And according to the Catechism, almsgiving is defined as donating money or goods to the poor and performing other acts of charity. Um, so you can think of it as obviously the literal translation of donating to the poor um, or servicing the poor. But also I think we can think of almsgiving as using our time, talent, treasure mm-hmm. in some way um, to those who are in need um, and kind of broadening that idea of the impoverished, um, which I want to talk about with my saint for sure. Um, but it's just a beautiful way to use what we have in order to give to those less fortunate than us. So that's kind of the idea. There's so many ways to do almsgiving. It can be, like you said, can be your time or um, just offering, I don't know. I, do you want to offer ideas? Offer ideas of <laughs> yeah. how to practically do yeah. that. But there is an importance to connecting with the poor, mm-hmm. that Jesus really lives in, in that place. And yeah. so there is something that it does to the soul when we connect um, to people who really are impoverished by physical needs. Yeah. And so connecting there in some way, form or fashion, is probably just formationally just something that adds to the depth of our soul. And um, so that can be either through money, but if it's not money, it can be um, service. Mm -hmm. What are other, any other ideas? Yeah, I know I've like, I'm thinking about the people I've kind of met in ministry throughout the years. And there's been some cool examples. Like I knew a missionary was it okay? Maybe it wasn't her, but I knew or heard of someone who like would grow out their hair like oh, really yes. long, uh-huh. and then like every other Lent or every so often they would donate their hair. That's beautiful, and like get it cut really short. Yeah. Um. So I thought that was a like a really because we don't think about like donating hair, but she right. was like, no, I'm donating this to. There's an organization that does like makes wigs yes. for kids with cancer, and and I that's something that even kids could do, right? Yeah. Like that don't have money, like it's yeah. something that they could feel empowered to do. Yeah. Or like um I try to I'm not great about it depending on like my life season yeah. but like I've been um slowly like purging clothes that I just like am holding on to yeah I haven't worn them in forever um, and I keep saying like no I'm gonna wear this but finally I was like you know what I haven't worn this in two years I don't think I'm gonna go to a fancy cocktail party <laughs> anytime soon and so I just kind of started making a pile of clothes and yeah. then um, I got all together and donated it this week. So yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, just things like that. I knew someone who, okay, actually, this was a boss I had. If if anyone could have a boss like Michael Scott in real life, this was this guy. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Was Which, that like a blessing? Or no, a I was going to say it's funny <laughs> on the show, but in real life, it's not funny. <laughs> anyway, he only drank Diet Coke. He didn't drink water. Wow. Like any water. He didn't okay. drink milk. He I didn't know that was possible. only drink. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was kind of scary. He only drank Diet Coke, but for Lent, he went cold turkey and gave it up. Well, good for him. And only drank what? water. And then the money that he saved buying, like <gasps> literally because oh. he went through like a case a day. It was crazy. Wow. Um, insane. Yeah. He would donate the money from his what Medical he would normally spend. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, yeah, so he would do that, which I thought was a cool. That's beautiful. Really cool That's sacrifice. That's like sa- sac- fasting Very. and alms. Yeah, so I like how like that one was connected. Yeah, um, I like that. So yeah, so many cool different ways to do that. Um, and I feel like it's often the forgotten part of Lent because everyone yes. knows like I need to like add in a prayer practice or I need to give something up. Like that's the big one. What are you giving up? But I think Mm. everyone forgets the almsgiving part. The almsgiving. Yeah. I think that I feel like sister Miriam said something about um, like the prayer is our relationship to Mm -hmm. God and fasting is our relationship to ourself and almsgiving is our relationship to others. Oh, Um, so it like completes that full circle. And so um, the saints that we picked, I bet will really personify that. I'm excited to talk about that. But first our snacks. Snacks. Okay. 
Let's, you want me to go yeah. first? Okay. So we kind of like pre-snacked. We did. So just full transparency. Um, because Andrea came over and yeah. she brought her snack and I gave her my snack. Yeah. Mine was a liquefied form of a snack. Delicious. <laughs> and it's on track with my saint. Oh, yeah, it is. I like to coordinate. Um, and I gave her a properly made yes. Indian chai. Yes. What do you think of it? Delicious. I actually love chives because I'm not a coffee drinker. Yeah. Um, and so, and I like, you know, just like a plain green tea with honey and lemon is delicious, Ooh, but sometimes nice. you want something more substantial. Like yes. I wish I could order like a fancy iced coffee, but I just don't <laughs> like it. Yeah. But like an iced chai yes. is my favorite. And I've been trying so hard to learn how to make it because I was spending like gazillions of it dollars. expensive. And yeah. chai is not expensive to make. It's not. And so, so I tried next really time hard. I'm going to make you an iced chai. This time I gave you the hot one. Yeah. But I have a stance about chai, and I need to talk about okay, it. Okay, tell me. Okay, first, chai, or like the Indian way to say it is chaya. Oh, I didn't um, even know that. Yeah, but it's tea with milk. Yeah, like Kind of like a black tea with spices. Yeah. Um, made with milk. That means like not just like added in at the end. It's like you boil the milk. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, traditionally in India, I've seen them make it where it's just full milk. Like there's no mm-hmm. water. Um, and then they... They boil the milk and they put the tea bags in, mm-hmm. and, the, and then you can add sugar and um, spices at the end too. Mm-hmm. So the way I made it for you though is I made it like kind of like half water, half milk because mm-hmm. um, I figured that would probably be a good balance. But I all the tea bags that are here are a little less like concentrated, so sometimes That's, yeah. Because I I've tried making it in after you told me I tried making the milk and I felt like it didn't like fully saturate the liquid because of the tea yeah the tea is not I don't want to say weak but it's just not as like yeah spiced so I generally do two tea bags like if I'm making two cups of tea like for me and Royce I'll do three tea bags Mm -hmm. and that's just like the the perfect intensity yeah um and so and then I just add some crushed cardamom on top because it gives it kind of that like nutty earthy flavor yeah but my thing is People should not be saying chai tea. Oh, yeah. Because that chai is tea with milk. Yeah. And then you're saying tea with milk, tea. And then some people go to the point of chai tea latte. And that's just bananas to me because yeah. it's like chai. It's like tea with milk with tea with froth milk. Yeah. It's, that's it's just too much. Too, too much. Just yeah. say chai. Th- yes. I did know that. I was educated <laughs> enough in that. Awesome. That So I just say a nice chai or a chai. Yes. That's so, perfect. But yeah, I love them. So th- I felt very blessed. And Aww. also, I do want to learn how to just make them. Okay, I'm going to, we're going to have a cool I need to know. chai yeah. lesson. Lately, I've been switching to matcha because I feel like that's been easier to make for yeah. me. But I, yeah, but I feel like the right tea bags are essential. Yeah, I just haven't found the right chai, but I found good quality matcha. Oh, nice. So I've been able to make matcha lattes. Nice. Um, but yeah, it was great. Any Indian grocery store. There's so many. What have I been doing? Of course. Why didn't I think of that? Okay. (laughs) Why didn't? Okay. I'm going today right now. Um, So my chai was delicious. Uh, My snack was a delicious, beautiful cupcake. It was amazing. I have. Okay. I'm really proud of those cupcakes. And I went through a phase in college where I was obsessed with sprinkles. Yes. And I feel like it was like as good as sprinkles. I'm going to. Just go there and be bold. I'm going to vouch for you because it was, I'm not, I'm not biased here just because (laughs) I love you, but it was just properly, delicately flavored. It was a beautiful cupcake. Mm -hmm. It was a churro cupcake. So it was like a cinnamon cake and then like a cinnamon sugar, like crust. Oh my gosh, my my mouth is watering. When I think about it, I get hungry for them. And then the frosting was a cinnamon buttercream. But, like, the backstory and why I had to share with Lena is that I made them for my husband's birthday, and he spit it out because he doesn't like – and I know – okay, so here's the thing. I know he does that. He's a weirdo. (laughs) He spits out, like, for example, I love dark chocolate raisins. He'll, like, suck off the chocolate and then, like, spit out the raisin. He does that with lots of things, like Snickers to – okay, it's a weird thing. So I knew he Maybe did that. Maybe he just likes chocolate. <laughs> I don't. Yes, he did ask. Okay, he did ask for a chocolate cupcake, and I was like, "No, you're gonna love these," because he loves churros. So I thought he would love it. Best combination. To be fair, he did say I, he wanted chocolate, and I was like, "This is a surprise cupcake. You're gonna love it." It was a surprise. So I know he does that, but the thing, and I, because I had to pray about this, because the fury 
of seeing him spit out my delicious cupcakes. Yeah, the lack of appreciation. Yes. So I really prayed. But everything is harder with a baby. Like everything. Especially my baby, it feels like. <laughs> this age, especially. Yes. Everything is hard. Time. Yeah. So when I stay up late to make the best freaking cupcakes I've ever had. Right. And you spit it out. So then I went on a mission. I was handing them out to everyone. So everyone could be like, so I could just say, oh, you like that cupcake? It's really good. My husband spit it out just so everyone can, could be like, can oh. Can you believe it? Yeah. Just so everyone would be shocked and would be like, yeah, he's crazy. I just like needed the world to know. About yeah. That. Like yeah. I posted on Instagram so everyone would know. It was probably not the holy way Happy to deal birthday, with it. Louise. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it was really good. And it was good. It was so good because the buttercream was not too sweet. It was not too sweet. It was the uh, perfect amount. Remember we talked about the proportion of icing the cupcake. Yes. And Spot I also on. feel like I, so the other thing is that I was supposed to put sour cream in the cupcake, oh, yes. but I accidentally put cream cheese <laughs> in the cupcake and the batter was so thick and I was freaking <laughs> out because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to throw away all that batter. <laughs> I remember so, getting a call in the middle of dinner. Yeah, I was like, wait, I sent like an SOS emoji. Because I didn't, I just needed to know that it could be okay. So I Googled, but then I just kept adding milk until it became a good consistency. So like as a baker, I felt like I reached a new level of that just like, like eyeball it. Yeah, that's right? expert level baking because yes. baking is not about eyeballing. It's not. So it's that's precision. why, yes, it's very, you measure cooking. You can like, mm-hmm. you know, sprinkle yeah. and taste, but baking is precise. So mm-hmm. I felt like as a baker, I reached a new level of being able to just feel the texture. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can certify it. Okay. So it was <laughs> just like a meaningful thing in my life. And then I'm sorry it was delicious. That. Yeah. So that was my snack. <laughs> delicious snack. It was. Um, so well, should we, yeah, talk about saints? I feel like you should go first because I guessed yours. Yes. You guessed mine because I gave away too many hints, but also it's pretty obvious. It was pretty obvious. We're talking about almsgiving. We're talking about giving to the poor. I mean, (coughs) who else are we going to talk about than St. Teresa of Calcutta? Yeah. Mama T. Mama T. The most essential. Oh my goodness. The iconic like saint of almsgiving um i'm gonna refer to her as mother Teresa because she was alive she's so recent yeah she's so recent she was alive in my lifetime during um a big part of my life and i've just that's how i know her yeah so i'm just gonna refer to her that way but she is known as saint Teresa of kolkata and i don't even know where to start i was so panicked about Mm -hmm. this particular yeah brief because i was like i have like lived through her spirituality this whole Mm -hmm. time and I'm like how am I going to encapsulate this um Nobel Peace Prize winner humanitarian just everyone continually called her a living saint yeah Um, we could probably do like multiple episodes on her so just like so just overview I could never do it take the pressure off yeah okay (laughs) all right she was born August 26 1910 in the current capital of the Republic of Macedonia her parents are of Albanian descent and she was baptized as Agnes Mm-hmm. Um, her dad was an entrepreneur. He was like a grocer and he like traded medicines and other goods. And they were a devoutly Catholic family. Her dad, Nicola, was deeply involved in the local church and in po- politics in his city. And it says that he was a vocal propo- proponent of Albanian independence. Mm. Um, but at the age of eight, when Mother Teresa or Agnes at that time um, was eight years old, her dad, Nicola, suddenly just got sick and died. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and they don't know what the cause of his death is. Um, some people have, like, a conspiracy theory that, like, political enemies poisoned him, but that's mm. not a confirmation. Yeah. Um, but after her father's death, uh, Mother Teresa, well, should I call her Agnes at the time? Um, I don't know. It's hard to me for me to see her as yeah. Agnes. Okay, but Mother Teresa became like really close to her mom, mm-hmm. and her mom was her mom is Drana, and she was this pious, compassionate woman who was very involved in the church. But she was the one that instilled like a deep commitment to charity to her to her daughter. Mm-hmm. She always had people at the table with her that were from the community that uh, didn't have anything to eat. She would just bring them in and open her home, and one of her Mom's quote says, my child, never eat a single mouthful unless you are sharing it with others. Mm. And when Mother Teresa asked um, as a little girl, like, who are these people eating with us? Her mom would always reply back with 
some of them are our relations, like some of them are family, <laughs> but all of them are our people, Aww. which I think that was just the seed that just mm-hmm. like blossomed in, in her as a little girl. Um, at the age of 12, she felt a religious uh, calling to religious life. Mm-hmm. And six years later at 18, she decided to become a nun and she set off to Ireland to join the Sisters of Loretto in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's there that she took the name Sister Mary Teresa after St. Therese of Lisieux. Um, so that was really cool because I've often seen there's so much mm-hmm. familiarity in her spirituality with St. Therese. And it's funny because um, Teresa is normally spelled T-H-E-R-E-S-A, um, but there was another sister in the congregation that had that name. So oh, she was funny. like, I'm going to take the Spanish spelling of the name. Um, and then after about a year while she was still in her novitiate period of discernment, she traveled to Darjeeling, India, mm-hmm. which is where there's lots of tea plantations. Um, and that's where she made her first profession of vows. And she, at that point, she was sent to Calcutta, to which is like one of known as one of the poorest cities in India. Mm-hmm. And she was sent there and assigned to teach at St. Mary's High School for Girls, which was a school run by the Loretto sisters. And they were dedicated to teaching this girls from the city's poorest Bengali families, mm-hmm. which is a province in India. And Sister Teresa at the time learned to speak both Bengali and Hindi fluently, which I thought was really cool because she was Albanian descent, born in Macedonia. And it's not like Bengali and Hindi are like easy languages to learn or anything near what she was used Mm -hmm. to speaking. So she became so fluent in those languages and became one of the people there. Mm -hmm. I mean, many people had mistaken her for being of Indian descent, just not knowing her. And so because that's how much she became a part of that culture. Um, but she taught geography and history, and it was like her mission to alleviate the girls' poverty through education. Mm-hmm. She really believed education was the way out of poverty. I, I do too. Um, and just because she was so talented, like she was like multi-talented, like she was so organized, she was intelligent, she knew how to like just get things done. Mm-hmm. Um, it, by 1944, she became the school's principal. Love that. And at age 36, it like two years after she became principal, she was on a train ride from Calcutta to the Himalayan foothills for like a retreat. And she said, this is when she gets like what's known as the famous call within Mm -hmm. a call. Yeah. And she said Christ spoke to her and told her to abandon teaching and work in the slums of Calcutta, helping the city's poorest Mm -hmm. and sick people. Um, So it was like, her initial call was to religious life and to um, being with the Loretto sisters. And then the call, the deeper call within that was to really aid um, the poorest of the poor. Mm-hmm. And so because she has took a vow of poverty, but also obedience, she had to ask permission in order to go do that. So it took a, a year and a half of like lobbying for that help in order or like lobbying for that request in order for her to receive approval to start that calling. Mm-hmm. And she basically went through like six months of medical training, like basic medical training, and then just like started working in the s- on the streets of Calcutta slums mm-hmm. with nothing other than a goal of just like helping the unwanted, the unloved, and uncared for. Mm. And I, before I continue on with what her um, history is, I just wanted to sprinkle in a quote because she has so many quotes that are just so many. I mean, I didn't even know where to start, but one of the ones that's just one of my favorites is and really speaks to what her devotion was to the poor and for almsgiving was being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody. I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. Mm -hmm. And so she really saw caring for the poor, not just as meeting those physical needs, which she did. She absolutely did. But so much deeper than that was the love that she put into how she cared for the poor. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like she saw Jesus in every single person, and she loved them with just such a deep love, and that love radiated through her, like through her body. It was like she always speaks of, like, kindness in your eyes and kindness in your smile. Mm -hmm. And it was just such a simplicity to, like, the way that you really care for somebody is through the way that you just genuinely give them love Mm -hmm. and that I think identified her as such a unique spirit in the way that she performed that almsgiving and so eventually she like after she got to Calcutta and worked in the streets there she like quickly translated her calling into 
concrete actions to help the city's poor. She established a home for the dying destitute, and she began uh, the congregation, the Missionaries of Charity, which is like her famous um, congregation. And she founded that with only like a handful of members that were former teachers or students from Mm -hmm. St. Mary's where she taught. Um, And then over like the course of the 1950s and 60s, she established a leper colony, an orphanage, a nursing home, a family clinic, and a string of mobile health clinics. Um, By the time of her death in 1997, the Missionaries of Charity numbered over 4,000. Wow. Um, And and then that's not including like all the lay volunteers. There were thousands of lay volunteers. Mm with 610 foundations in 123 countries around the world. Wow. It's just amazing to hear, like, just one woman's, like, ability to change the entire world. Mm -hmm. And in 1979, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in recognition of her work of bringing help to suffering humanity. Mm -hmm. And even though she is a Catholic saint, the whole world recognized her um, for her humanitarian efforts. Mm -hmm. And she just transcended all religions and all... Um, political parties, I suppose, mm-hmm. but she did receive criticism. She did, yeah. Yeah, because even though she was helping the poor and um, doing all this humanitarian aid, she never um, drifted away from her Catholic mm-hmm. faith and those um, tenets of the dignity of life and mm-hmm. how that extends from the unborn until death. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so she was vocal about that. And even, I think, in her acceptance of the Nobel Peace Prize, she talked about the greater destroyer the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion yeah and people did not like that because that went against their own values yeah (laughs) but um she stayed true to that dignity of life oh yeah and that was just such a beautiful um courageous like piece of her um it says after several years of her deteriorating health deteriorating health she including heart lung and kidney problems Mother Teresa died on September 5th, 1997, at the age of 87. Wow. And it, wasn't o- it was only after her death mm-hmm. that it was revealed that she had this spiritual darkness that yeah. um, is pretty well known. It was mm-hmm. a, it's said to have been about 50 years of spiritual yeah. darkness that it ha- happened soon after she got that call within a call. Mm-hmm. And she um, just could not feel God's presence. She felt like the absence of God. Yeah. And there's a story where there's like a bishop that she was with and they were in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And after they had finished praying, I think she like either slipped him a note or said to him that it said like, where is Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know, after they were praying and he was so taken aback, like he didn't um, realize that that's what she was going through. Yeah. And that in itself was such a testament for how she continued her work and continued to live this life of Christ's mission without all the warm fuzzies. Yeah. Um, but some people say that she was so united with Christ that it's almost like I wonder, like, could she not tell the difference between herself and Christ? Well, yeah. You know, if there was just, it w- there was such a union there that there didn't feel like the separation where she could feel mm-hmm. his presence separate from her. Yeah. And she often speculated at the end that she was so... Um, close to Christ that she was participating in in his part of the passion where he's like why have you forsaken me mm-hmm. and so that she feels like that period of darkness was just that piece of Christ's life where he was where he felt forsaken yeah um, and so I think she it can be definitely a inspiration for those of us who feel that dryness that spiritual dryness mm-hmm. and can go to her for fortitude and yeah. ask for that um sh- one of her one of her famous quotes is i've found the paradox that if you love until it hurts there can be no more hurt only love only more love mm-hmm. and that speaks to really like that struggle that she had in terms yeah. of like the pain of not feeling god's mm-hmm. presence but then because of that pain she loves and she loves the poor and then she doesn't feel the hurt she feels more love because yeah. of that and so i i often look to that saying right there like when I'm hurting like mm-hmm. I'm like okay how can I love somebody else and that, yeah that brings more love um, so after her death her ki- like beatification was like expedited yeah it was like the fast at the time the fastest known um beatification so she was beatified in 1998 it looks like or 
No, I'm sorry, in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a few years afterwards. And then she eventually became a saint after two miracles were confirmed in 2016. So she was yeah. a blessed for a while and then um, became a saint. Um, and at the canonization, um, Pope Francis said that Mother Teresa's life of service was um, in his homily. He said, Mother Teresa, in all aspects of her life, was a generous dispenser of divine mercy, making herself available for everyone through her welcome and defense of human life those unborn and those abandoned and discarded. She bowed down before those who were spent, left to die on the side of the road, seeing them in their God-given dignity. She made her voice heard before the powers of this world so that they might recognize their guilt for the crime of the poverty they created. Um, which, are, which is powerful words. It speaks to not only her mercy and her giving of herself for the dignity of all, but also for holding those accountable that create those conditions of poverty to exist Mm -hmm. and to be maintained. And that was the other part of almsgiving was an act of justice pleasing to God. Oh, yeah. And so to fight for the kind of the underdog and fight for the um, disenfranchised, I think, was um, a necessary part of that almsgiving. Yeah. And so she really carried that out, too. Um, Her other... One of the things that I love about her, my favorite quote of all that she says is, I'm a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Yeah, I love that one. I love that because it just, it speaks of her humility that, um, yet she changed the entire world with it, you know, from one person's love of the poor and following Christ's call for her, um, but still calls herself this little pencil and Mm -hmm. that she's really just an instrument of God's love and how much he loves the world. She always points it back to God. Yeah. And so she is just such an example of what it means to love deeply and to love uh, all persons, no matter what their um, situation is. Um, One of the other pieces that I thought was just so profound about her is, you know, when you look to a saint like um, Mother Teresa, it's often like, well, I can't be Mother Teresa. I mean, everybody likes it. Like, yeah. she's the one that you're like, I'm no Mother Teresa, you know. Yeah. Um, but even though she did such huge, uh, she made such huge changes in the world, so much of what she taught was that um, that poverty of love, mm-hmm. that's experienced everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have mm-hmm. to be in the slums of Calcutta to uh, to know somebody who has a pro- poverty of love. Yeah. And she often said that it starts at home, that if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Yeah. Because your family is the one that needs your love. And if everyone did that, you know, like love their family in that way, then the world wouldn't be as impoverished of love. And so um, she made that she made very practical recommendations for people that, you know, it doesn't they don't these you don't need to live in these grand gestures. You can do small things with great love. Yeah. And, you know not to think that, not to be discouraged by how little we can give. Mm-hmm. That if we all give a little bit, that makes a big difference. We're all just like one drop in the ocean. Yeah, The ocean wouldn't be the ocean without each drop, right? Like, so that. she she really encouraged all of us in our different vocations to be able to live that same yeah. spirituality, uh, no matter where we were at. And that that's what I, I love about certain saints, that even though they do these great feats, they make that accessible to us no matter where, what stage of life we're in. Yeah, she was famous for telling people to find their Calcutta. Oh, I love that. Right, because yes. people would always say, like, I want to come and work with you. And she would say, yeah. no, find your own Calcutta. Yeah. Like, go, there's more people, like you said, either it's, like, through the poverty of love or just, like, yes. where you live. There's people who need you, too. Yes. That's a, that's a big thing that I would always think about. Yeah, that that. Poverty lives mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. It just looks different for each of us. And I think that that really broadens what almsgiving can be for each of us. Yeah. Is to, um, yes, look at the poor and then also simultaneously look at those who might need your love. Maybe mm-hmm. someone who looks grouchy and kind of um, rough on the outside. Yeah. That that might be a lack of love and to just be loving just by a smile. Like she mm-hmm. made things just very simple, very, very much of the flavor of St. Therese. Yeah. Too. Um, and so I just think that that's so inspiring, mm-hmm. such a life well lived. And she's known as, um, she's talked about as such a saint of light, but she 
said that she was going to be a saint of darkness. Yeah, because she would always be weaving heaven yes. to light the way of yes. those in darkness. Yeah, She's like, I'm going to be totally absent from heaven. Yeah. Um, another saint dress mm-hmm. called back too, I think. Yeah. Um, but that I think is just so beautiful that she wanted to continue her work. Truly. Um, and I think she is. I really do think she is doing that. Oh, yeah. Fulfilling that call big time. Yeah, I love her. She's a really big hero of mine. And yeah. she w- like had a top 10. Definitely top 10, <laughs> which I have made the list and she's officially on it. <laughs> she's in my top 10 too. Yeah. I will tell you. The hero of mine for sure. Yeah. When I was in college, I was like, the only thing that I can do with my life is to go to Calcutta <laughs> and be a missionary of charity one day. <gasps> oh, that would be awesome. Now Clearly that didn't happen. But missionaries <laughs> of charity here in Dallas. I know. Too. I've never met them. <gasps> I will take you. Can it's we? so beautiful. They yeah, run a home go. for um, pregnant women and they, there's just... They do beautiful work. It's yeah, I've never been to their house, but I would really love oh to yeah. go. And they take donations, too. So yeah. Food donations, too. Let's do it. I want to go. Yep. I want to see them. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, kind of. So speaking of top 10, I think yeah. this saint, my saint, is on my top 10. But Creeping if not, in. he's on the 11. Because <laughs> I actually sat down and made the list. Okay. Because I was saying that too much. So I, if he's not on it, we he should, should be. We should put that on our Instagram. Like our your top, top 10. Your, our top 10. Okay. Um, he's should be on it if he's not. I need to double check. I might have to make it like a top eleven because <laughs> um, mine is Saint Peter Claver. Oh, um, interesting. Okay, I don't know much about him at all. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit was doing in my life, but there was a period in my life where I could not read about his life or like hear his story without just like crying. Oh, so I don't know what that was about. Now I can. I was like, I wonder if I'll cry reading this, but I didn't. I read read about I his life it. enough. I, I didn't it. cry. Isn't that kind of like a gift of the Holy Spirit, te- the gift of tears? Yes, it is. So. I have it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know what that was about, but he, um, so when I was thinking like service to the poor, number one, Mother Teresa. Sure, I feel like yeah. she's the Teresa of Avila of like prayer. Yes, how of, like, this, of the alms. Right, yeah, yeah. Teresa of Avila like wrote the book on prayer. Who's she's the in the Teresa catechism of, of prayer. Fasting, we'll have to find that one. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of scared to know. Um, but yeah, so Mother Teresa is like wrote the book on almsgiving, kind yeah. of figuratively. But then number two, I feel like a Saint Peter Claver. Cool. Um, he called himself the slave of the slave. Aww. So he so I'll get into his story, but I just I would always cry. Um, so he was a Spanish saint. He was born in 1580 outside Barcelona mm. to a rich farming family um so he had you know a pretty easy life growing up um as a university student he um was known for being very holy very into his catholic faith and also very intelligent and so he studied there for a while and it said that in his time as university he wrote down in his notebook that um i will dedicate myself to the service of god until death on the understanding that i am like his slave mm. so that kind of imagery i love that so once he was done studying, he entered the Jesuit order pretty directly. So at the age of 20, he became a Jesuit priest. And um, I didn't know this about him, so it was cool to learn this now. He uh, met St. Alphonsus Rodriguez um, at his order. So at the time, not a saint, yeah. but just the doorman, which in my study of the saints' lives, so many holy saints were just the doorman. Were doormen, right? Just like the most, like, like almost like the maintenance worker yes. janitor types. Um, so this is like the number third one that I know about, but Mm. so this particular brother, or he was a lay brother. He was known for his holiness, but also he had the gift of the spirit of prophecy. Oh, wow. Uh, So he would always tell Peter Claver, you are meant to be in the service of those in the colonies of New Spain. Uh, so like Latin America, basically. So he'd always tell him, I think that's where you're meant to go. You should pray about it. Uh, so he did eventually volunteer to go be sent to the Spanish colonies. I think it was n- the kingdom of Granada, which is Colombia now, which yeah. is it still called? I'm being, this is, I should edit this out because I don't know if it's still considered Granada or not, <laughs> but it's basically <laughs> Colombia. So he was sent to Colombia and there is when he finished like studying to be a priest and was ordained. He lived in, you know, with the Jesuits there. But it was during these years that he became deeply disturbed um, by the slave trade and the harsh treatment and living conditions of the slaves who were coming from Africa. Uh, He was in Cartagena, which is um, was like a huge port. Okay. So it was where the slave ships landed and wow. then the trading happened and oh. then the slaves were then distributed yeah. um, in the area or else or sent to the other colonies. So it was a big hub for slave trade where he was at. 
they said that 10,000 slaves came into the port yearly. So it's just a ton of people. And then I do want to do a quick plug. And I think maybe this is why his life always made me cry. But my I've said before, my sister lives in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah. And in Memphis, they have a civil rights museum. Okay. And it starts with the slave trade. So if you, if you, like they, I just, I don't even fully, I think my, my mind kind of blocked it out to protect my heart, but um, they have an exhibit where they just like really make it obvious how tightly these poor people were packed in and what it was like to be on a slave ship. And it like, I've honestly kind of traumatized me. I, I've, I don't, I haven't had that like experience of seeing that but i've read about it yeah how they were chained and laying down yes yes and just the imagery of that alone yeah just burned in my mind yeah like the imagery like i got like a i almost had like um like i don't want to say a full-blown panic attack but just like the claustrophobia i felt it yeah set in it's like human dignity just ripped to the core oh my gosh so i think kind of that just like that exhibit with the story but um he was seeing these people coming off the boat. Like that's what mm. he was immediately seeing. So yeah. I, that's kind of influenced his life basically. Um, he did know another Jesuit named Alonso de Sandoval, and he was um, a really big influence on Peter Claver. He also served the slaves coming into the port. Okay. Um, and he taught, he would help Peter Claver kind of learn like their languages and customs so that they could minister to them. He was more, um, Alonso de Sandoval was more passionate about ministering to the slaves like on the plantations, but Peter Claver was passionate about going into the ships, which is where it was oh like wow. the yes. worst of the worst. So while people were kind of deboarding, so people were doing the opposite thing and diving in. So he was seeing all the dead bodies, which is crazy. But he would also go in with But he would also go in with treating their wounds right away. start treating their wounds right away. He would just start administering medical care to you. As they were kind of corralled, he would go in there with them and offer them. He would go in there with them and offer them and just like food and bread and just water like and just start and bread and water and just start um, serving them in that way his quote um, is that he's famous for his quote we must speak to them with our hands that we must speak to them with our hands well yeah while he tried to learn yeah while he tried to learn the african tribes were uh you know the african tribes were yeah very diverse so he could have them very diverse cultures so he ministered to these people so he ministered to these people which I've, I've not the part that makes me cry. Which I've, uh, I've not the part that makes me cry. Yeah, he, uh, it's estimated that he yeah, also baptized It's estimated that he also baptized 300 And I think that's the part that makes, like, and I think that's the part that he did that without, always touched my heart because he did that without being able to really speak to them. Right, like he would try to learn their customs. Right, like he would try to learn their customs, like I said, in language, but for the most part, he really like he would think to all of them. Should be able to, if you're like baptizing, catechizing, he would also show like, to like speak to them in that yeah, way, like so he try to like speak to them in that way. So he would just try to connect as well as he could. So he also, so in like, also slave trade had like seasons. So during the heavy seasons, so during the heavy was at the ports coming in right there, like at the first base, these people right there, like the first base, other than their captors would often, other than their captors, but in the off season, he then traveled all over, he then traveled all over, ministering to so one thing that I liked is that so one thing that I liked. Is that when he would go he visit would stay to um, he would stay to uh, catechize to, um, them and care for to, uh, catechize them and, and the slave them. owners would be and like oh uh, the slave owners would be like here. oh uh, put him up for the night here. he'd be like put him up for the night. I'm going to stay with and them. He'd so he would stay in the slaves. So he would stay in the slaves. He would stay with them. Which I think it's so interesting that the slave owners Which I think it's so interesting that the slave owners were like, oh, a priest is here. And then he'd be hospitable Yeah, and then he'd be like, no, I won't. And they never thought to be like, hey, why? They never thought to be like, hey, why? Hospitality, why are you choosing? You know, like, they would like see that and be like, you know, like, yeah, just like see that and be like, like, I'm sure there were some people's lives Like, I'm sure there was one to know if they ever were like, I want to know 
if they ever were like, rather hey, be with them. I wonder why he'd rather be with them than listening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But one thing that I also thought was interesting was that I also thought was interesting was that I kind of want to almost study the culture of the time, like almost study the culture of the time. He also would after reading this, but he also would because at the time there was this weird because at the time there was this weird like I don't know what's the word double like a weird double standard like a weird double standards and they deserved a higher level of treatment and they deserved a higher level of treatment and they weren't. So he would also do that on purpose. He would also do that on purpose so that the slave owners better than they weren't. So I thought that was better than like I said a weird double standard. Like I said a weird double standard. Also he was known for working. Also he was known for working a way that he has a little bit a way that he has been criticized technically owns some slaves. Technically bought them but then treated them bought them but then treated them and very dignified really treat them as slaves. He did believe in really treat them as slaves. He did believe in corporal punishment as far as like but like for himself too. Do you know what I mean? So he had a very deep like you know what I mean? So he had a very deep like understanding of like doing Understanding uh, of like mortification. Okay. Uh, so I think and he practiced it as well. And he practiced it, which is a very old school understanding. Which is a very old school understanding. So he would practice it on, but so he would practice it on own slaves that he technically owned. But to him, they were just. Like to him, they like were just their, um, like his. It was like for their sanctification, for their mortification, for their mortification, and. But it was to free them, them from the hands of other slave owners. But it was to free them from okay. the hands of other slave so owners. Okay. That makes some sense. criticism so he has for received that. some criticism but for that. It is tricky, but I also... It is tricky, but I also... As the way that he had to work within the system. You know, so like the way that he would catechize... You know, so like the way that he would catechize and just so that they would be treated better. Just so that they would be treated better. You know, and the way that he would... Yeah, he had the system. He knew that he couldn't change. But he worked with in it in the way so he worked he within it right. uh, so I didn't want to bring that up so I didn't want to bring that up feel like but I do also feel like his love doesn't discount his love for them and I have to imagine I'm just this is probably out of ignorance I'm saying this but if you ignorance I'm saying this but spend part of your life going into the slave part of your life going into the slave ships lives at that lowest point where they were stripped of it I have to imagine that just changes you as a person. Oh yeah, and so even in the context, I mean, if you zoomed in, in the context, I mean, if you zoomed in, that would look really damaging. Yeah, that would look really damaging. Not a blow to the character, but if you zoom out and look at the whole picture, zoom out and look at the whole picture, it's impossible that there's not seems impossible that there's not this impact his motivation was to do that what his motivation was to do that may not have been from that a power dynamic may not have been more of a power dynamic but more of a love for a fellow brother and love for a fellow brother or sister and trying to do what he can within his powers do what he can within his right yeah it was very much i see like yeah it was very much i see is like that was that for me like my meditation that was that are like i know so many people that are like like Okay, I don't get into politics like it's all corrupt. I don't get into politics about it because nothing and I don't know anything about it because nothing's gonna stop or like help our political system. I've heard so many people say I don't really get into politics. I've heard so many people say I don't really get into politics. There's no point. Peter here and that like there's so many Peter here and that like there's so many there's so many people who were like I just owning slaves. There's so many people who were like it's just how our world is. How our world is. Yeah, it was just known to yeah. It was just known to people. Yeah, that was just that part of the time. Yeah, right. you can say that for a woman. Um, so yeah, I right. love that Saint Peter um, member so was not I love that exactly was not to that sensitized yeah, exactly. to that. You know, knew that he couldn't one person. You know, knew that he couldn't one person stop this and we like how long did that take? And we really like how long did that take to really be completely? Yeah, it's not exactly. So instead of not exactly like like so instead of like trying to be like well I can't just make the whole thing. Like he had to figure out how he like he had to figure out how he could be holding and help people. Not within fight. the system, so it wasn't a way to kind fight. of. Um, so it wasn't a way to kind of to be um, away from them. people who to would be have hurt away them. from yeah. people. So and then the other thing is that he. So and then the other thing is that he slave of the slaves. Like he called mm-hmm. himself so the slave of the slaves. So he practiced heavy mortification on himself. But he also did not. But he lived in a way that was not. He lived in a way that was solidarity with the slaves. Kind of in solidarity with the slaves. So he would intentionally like kind of starve himself. Like he would only kind of starve himself. 
himself, like he would only so eat I was going to ask you to expand on what it means. I was going to ask you to expand on what it means, like mortification. What does that look like? Maybe we should cut this out. I don't fully like mortification because it's hard for me to understand. Because it's hard for me to understand. Deprivation of comfort or deprivation of comfort. Kind of in a certain mortification, you would wear like a sackcloth under your tunic under have your this tunic discomfort and that discomfort would remind you of discomfort and that discomfort would remind you of right um, so Christ he engaged in that right so, so he engaged if in that. um the slaves on so whatever um, the slaves on whatever ministering to at the time did not have ministering to at the time then he did not have food and was starving then he so um and he also like so um and he also like um like intentionally lived because the slaves did not have because the slaves did not have so he like made sure he never so he like made sure that was above how the lived in a way that was above uh, how the living. poorest people I feel like in, uh, were in living. His ideology I feel like is like in, in order to serve them. Ideology is like in order to yeah. serve them. I have to know yeah. 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 how they yeah. live. Very yeah. much he became so wanted to be very much he became wanted to become like them. So that ends up. So there's a lot of things about his life that make So there's a lot of things about his life that make in a good way. Just like the way that in a good way. Just like the way that he in this world and trying to in this world and trying not let it. Not be like you said. Not let it. Yeah. Not so be like you I've said, always been touched yeah. by just so like I've always been love touched by just like his. Um, another thing about his life that is kind of another thing about his life that is kind of uncomfortable for me when he was old, older and just when he was old, older and just kind of living back at the Jesuit house. He was living and they did hire someone. It was a former and they did hire someone. It was a former slave. So this person was. So this person was. But for whatever reason, he. But for whatever reason, Saint Peter. And just kind of Saint Peter forgot about and him. Just kind of and so in his final days, Saint Peter was so in his final days, Saint Peter was elder abuse. Kind of like he, yeah, he was like he, yeah, he was not very well taken care of. Care of but he never, which I need to figure out how we even know that. Which I need to figure out how we even know that. But he never told anyone because he felt like that was what he felt like that was what he deserved. I don't think he, he said deserved, he deserved it, but just as like I don't again, think he like it, but just as like again, like mortification solidarity with people who also had experienced great also had experienced great pain. He felt like he needed pain. He felt like he needed to just bear it. Sounds like the kind of saint that sounds like when they experience that kind of suffering. When they experience that kind of suffering, doesn't go back to like himself and be like, doesn't go back to like himself and be like, unites it with like this collective. He unites it with like this suffering of humanity, right? And suffering of humanity, right? And I've heard a couple of. Um, yeah, and I've heard a couple of saints kind of um, suffered silently in this way. I heard kind of one suffered of them silently in this way. I heard Saint Dominic Savio, who was a child. Dominic Savio, who was child. He kind of said that he was united to Christ when Pilate questioned him, and he didn't say anything back. That in that kind of suffering was that in that kind of suffering was kind of what he went to united to that I could suffer. Like I said, it's like this weird. So like weird, you said, it's like this like weird, almost like kind of metaphysical, weird, like almost like kind of metaphysical in like every single way. To Jesus, right, I mean, in every single way. That's just like one tiny snippet of Jesus' life, and that became like this cornerstone. And that right. became like this cornerstone for him. So, and again, like yeah. So, and again, like can sometimes be challenging. And when I was in college, I felt like I needed. When I was in college, I felt like I needed because I feel like don't want to be elder abuse in my final. In my elder abuse, in my final. But again, it's like kind of that thing that we talked about. It's like kind of that thing that uh, not everyone where we're like to that and uh, not moment. everyone is called yeah. to that. Uh, and I also don't feel like if Saint Peter had been like hi, I'm being Peter had been like hi, I'm dying. I don't think Jesus would have and I'm dying. I don't think Jesus would have like counted that against him. That Saint Peter did offer it. Is that Saint Peter did offer it? It's still beautiful, right? And we're not all called to do that, right? And if we don't feel like we can, that's not like we don't feel like we can. That's not like anything. I'm totally on our record. Oh, me too. Oh, so there's just like I felt like his life. So there's just like I felt like his life. But there's also like so full of love. But there's also just like heaviness. Kind of like reading it like this heaviness. Kind of like what you said. Like have to love to hurt. Quote of life. Feel like he is. Feel like he is. Like what she needs. Kind of like a little bit sorrowful. Yes, a little bit sorrowful. Yes, yeah. Yeah, like truly united with. Yeah, like truly united with Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Which we think about the people that he said he would devote his life to serving. Like if he devote his life to serving. Had like a really happy life. Had like a really happy life. You know what I mean? Like he specifically chose to serve people who experienced the most horrific treatment. 
the most horrific ever have known record of that no. we've yes. ever so had I think known it record of makes sense no. that his life so was I think it kind of makes sense that his life was uncomfortable uncomfortable for us to read through uncomfortable for us to read so when he eventually did die so when he eventually did die came kind of like a place his room became kind of like a place of pilgrimage for people his room at the Jesuit house for people they would come and try to like take things from there come and try to like take it's kind of interesting it's kind of interesting Saint Peter would speak truth to power so he Saint Peter would speak like truth to power so the, kind of the town like squares and kind of just preach to whoever town squares and kind of just preach to whoever would hear um, about the atrocities and so he wasn't he was very well known and so he wasn't he was very well disliked by the magistrates yeah very polarizing the magistrates yeah very polarizing like him you know the city officials but when he um, you know when but he died, he, uh, they you know, still when he died, uh, had they this huge still like pomp and circumstance had this for him. Huge, like they like, rolled out the red carpet for him. Like they rolled out the red carpet for him. So in this way, like him when he was alive, they kind of didn't like him when he was alive. But then after his death, they could recognize the impact that he had on their city So I thought that was also like, so I thought that was also like dichotomy of his life, another dichotomy of his life too. Yeah, right. And then only the number of people, and then only the number of people that he actually baptized. When the house were known after his death, when the house came out, just that piece that he was able to baptize, that he was able to baptize without knowing their language and without knowing their language. And if you're worried about, like, how can I evangelize? How can I evangelize? Yeah, even know the language he was able to baptize. Yeah, exactly. Just love someone, love someone, be with them in their darkest moment, maybe be with them in their darkest moment, maybe. No, that's always like when I read his story, that's always like when I. I read his story, I'm like the part where I'm always uncomfortable. But that is the love that he must have shown these people. The love that he must have shown these people. So another. So I think it's really cool that another. So I think it's really cool that along with Alfonso Rodriguez, who was the importer, initially told him to go. Initially told him to go and be a missionary to the new. Be a missionary to the new colony. The new. And then I kind of also wanted to end on this. And then I kind of also wanted to end on the nice of. Peter Claver is the largest the Knights African of Peter American, is the largest uh, Catholic fraternal organization. Catholic so fraternal they're kind of, uh, you know how we have so they're kind of, uh, you know how we have the Knights of Peter Claver is something for black Catholics to kind of for black and it's, you know, they do the same thing pretty much that you know, they do the same thing pretty much that the charitable work and peer support the charitable work and peer support but they are the that they kind of Peter so that they kind of Take on his take name on his as their patron. Take on mission. his name, right? Yeah. And then on that there are the missionaries, right? And then on that there are the missionaries of Saint Peter Claver and their religious order who are dedicated to spiritual and social needs. The spiritual and social needs. People all around the world, but particularly in Africa, people all around the world, but particularly in Africa, is where they mostly work. And they were founded in Austria. They were founded in Austria, and their founder is a blessed. Which I thought was so cool. There's like that person who goes down to the rabbit hole for life. But uh, just to say that she, but just to say that she, he's still by the black community as one of their community is heroes of their faith, and for sure heroes of their faith, and for sure. So he's always been someone that I. So he's always been someone that I just really humble. I think the word humble. Really humble. I think the word humble. When I read that, like the social justice warriors. Oh, for sure, definitely. So I just always felt really struck by his life. Always felt really struck by the radical way, and just like the radical way that no one else was served people who no one else was serving. I think that's just such a key point of almsgiving is it a key point of going to these uncomfortable places because you go into these uncomfortable places because of the life of comfort part of given and that part of sit and holiness in that place with other people and that discomfort that you feel is not necessarily like a bad thing but it's like bringing you closer to Christ those two saints I just feel like were just the those two saints I just feel like were just the epitome so of that. Heavy, yeah. like I feel like these were like so really heavy ones. Heavy, but like, like almsgiving is kind like of really heavy. heavy ones. But like almsgiving is kind of heavy. And it is like heavy, but kind of the best way. And just like yeah, kind of the best way. Yeah, grounds you and then really grounds you and then no, there's just a gratitude for the life you've been no, given. There's just a gratitude for the life you've been changed by that. I know the first time I went to India, I know the first time I went to India. We went to Mumbai, which also is known. We went to Mumbai, which also is known for its slums. Also, mm-hmm. and the poverty there is just mm-hmm. very different than the poverty there is just very different than the poverty we see here in the U.S. Um, and the slums were very, 
very impoverished. And yeah, I remember like children just very impoverished. Yeah, I remember children. There were children like not on the street. There were children like yeah, the time. much younger than I, I just was. remember like yeah, crying time. into my dad. I just remember like crying into my dad. How like maybe like this. And he tells me the story that I like emptied all his pockets. I like to just like try to give them whatever. I like to just like try to give them whatever. Experiencing that and experiencing that life. Yeah, seeing that in another life. Yeah, it changes you for your own better. So and for your own benefit. And you're blessed by their example. Definitely. You're blessed by their for example. Sure. Definitely. Well, for sure. on that yeah. note, well, should we go to yeah. blessings and burdens? Note, should yeah. we go to blessings and burdens? Um, should go first. Okay. I'll go first. Oh, um, should go first. Uh, because I'll my blessing. Oh, right. uh, because my blessing. <laughs> my blessing is food related. <laughs> <laughs> my blessing nice. is food um, related. Okay. Nice. I um, okay. made. I finally, for the first time in my life. Finally, the perfect Mexican rice. The perfect Mexican rice. So I don't Ooh. know if which. This is so a thing I don't know if in your culture this is a thing in your culture. Okay, so I feel like for some okay, reason so I feel rice. Like if you're not just making white rice, like a rice if you're cooker. not just making just like getting the right texture and consistency, just like getting the right texture and consistency and flavor is very hard. I can like and do all the stuff, but like the rice and do all the stuff. Yes, the rice is always the hardest. I don't know why either. Just like so, I don't know why either. Just like so, when I make it, either too watery or too sticky or too watery or too sticky. But I finally got the and the perfect flavor and the perfect flavor. Mexican rice is actually made with like tomatoes. Mexican rice is actually like made with like red tomatoes. Kind of yeah. That's why it's got um, like that red so Sometimes I'll make it and it tastes um, like so straight sometimes tomatoes. Sometimes I'll make it and it tastes <laughs> like straight tomatoes and, and it's gross. I have always kind of feel discouraged to make it because they always so much discouraged to make it because they weigh so much rice and food. I just got like anyway wild. I just got like yesterday like I was gonna do it and I did it yesterday like I was gonna do it and I did it. Well, okay, it was delicious. I did accidentally burn like half. I did accidentally burn because I just wasn't watching it. But that's a whole other because I just wasn't watching. Okay, but that's some a whole cultures. other thing because they're oh, like yeah. Middle Eastern cultures. Like oh, yeah. Eastern oh, I love the burnt crunchy rice. Oh, I love the burnt crunchy rice. But it was like black. So I didn't waste like probably 75 But I didn't waste what I had was delicious. But what I had was delicious. So that's like a huge blessing for me. Because I feel like a huge blessing for me. Yeah, because I feel like to like, I felt like I reached a new level of like, I felt like I reached a new level of like, I can like make a Mexican rice If we had a soundboard, I would have that one. If we had a soundboard, I would have that one in the audience. Yeah, that's like, I feel like a rite of yeah, passage. Yeah, that's like I feel like yes. a rite of passage to my family. Yes, yes, yes. Able to give rice to my family. Yes, yes. Yeah. So and that was like so that I was like yeah. So that was like I was like and my mother-in-law, my mom, and my mom was like stop texting me. I'm at a rosary. Stop texting me. I'm at a rosary. And I was like tell them all about yes, the rice. Yes, there's an answer. Yes, it was just like yes, the there's an answer. Yes, it was just like the big moment for me. That's that was my blessing. My burden is just that I'm so tired. Ben is like going through. I think just like Ben is like going through. I think just like two at the same time. Two, teeth really cute teeth two at the same time. So <laughs> really two teeth. So he's been very <laughs> two teeth. So he's been very and he's just throwing his sleep for a loop. And he's just throwing naps, which means like he's been fighting naps. Bedtime is hard and bedtime is hard. And I'm usually exhausted, but exhausted. I'm usually exhausted, but like very exhausted. Yes, yes. So very tired. Yes. So very tired. So pray for his team. Hoping that temporary, but I pray for his team. Hoping that temporary, but I will be praying because he has such a good smile. Okay, I'm gonna start with burden yeah. so I can okay. end with lessons. Okay, I'm gonna start with burden so um, I can end my with burden lessons. Is okay. my, fridge um, my burden is my no. fridge this is broke. Good. No, no, this and is not I've good. had this no. fridge for and maybe 18 I've had this fridge for maybe 18 years. Years. Um, when I'm averse to buying new appliances. averse to buying new appliances because my old ones have worked so long. Our fridge is not working, but. By the grace of God, we have a small fridge in our garage. We have a small fridge in our garage. So we still have to get by. So we still have to get by. I need to go. Um, but I, I, need to I think that's really the burden. Oh, is like look sure. I think Brand that's really the burden. Is oh, like sure. <laughs> we had when we moved, we had to get like an. We had when we moved, we had to get like an olive fridge. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessing is my blessing. Is call to religious life, a specifically nuns call to religious life, a specifically nuns because of Teresa, and just the influence nuns have had in my life, and just the influence nuns have had in my life personally. But today, I wanted to go to mass in the morning. I wanted to go to mass in the morning. We have said, and I don't live far from the church, and I don't live far from the church. 
but left my house I at six fifty. Left my house at like six fifty. At least eight and to it nine takes minutes like to get from at least eight mm-hmm. like nine minutes on a good to get day from here. Same but mm-hmm. like the on a good day. highway was like shut down. Like three lanes were shut down. So I had three lanes were shut down. So I had a big part of it. Yeah, but I ended up getting there. Yeah, but I ended up getting there. And normally I sit like second row. And of course all that was my spot. And of course all that was spot that I kind of like. And the only spot that I kind of like to was. Um, I felt prompted I found a to seat was and it was next I to found a seat and it was nuns that were sitting there and it was nuns that were sitting there and feeling nervous about I was just being feeling nervous about you know yeah and it was like God like surrounded me like and it was like God surrounded me like on the side and in front of me with all these beautiful nuns and I was like I like the bomb for my soul yay and the nuns and the I approached afterwards I approached afterwards I was like yes and she just had such a and she just had such and a that joy just really in her reminded eyes. me of Mother Teresa And that just really reminded me of Mother Teresa too. And just that just kindness in your eyes. I know that if there's any success here, so I know that if there's any success here, it's for me. Yay! Religious sisters. Shout out. Religious sisters. Shout out. I love you. Well, awesome. That's all we got. Well, awesome. That's all we got. Give all the alms. I'm Joe Calcutta. Give all the alms. I'm Joe Calcutta. Bye. Yeah. God bless. Bye.